Hello everybody and welcome to an episode of Impactful Conversations. I hope that this finds you well wherever you're listening to this. My name is Tafatzwan Dlovu and thank you for listening to this episode. So on the show, I interview and speak to individuals who are making a difference in their world. Individuals who have a different way of thinking and are forming as leaders in their respective fields. I'd love to hear some of your feedback on the episode, either by writing us a review or giving us a five-star rating in the podcast app that you're listening to right now, or by heading over to our website, which is impactfulconversations.co.ca. We also have a YouTube channel where you can go there and search Impactful Conversations, and you'll find us over there as well. We also have a newsletter that we do every month with some of the content from our episodes, along with some interesting pieces that we have come across. Anyway, wherever you're listening to this, hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Impactful Conversations. Uh, This is part two of the Energy Expert Story Series, which is powered by Semenzana. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Rosalind DeSantos, who I will briefly introduce in a second. Uh, But this is, like I said at the beginning, part two of our Energy Expert Story Series, um, which you would have seen, you would have seen part one, if you haven't checked it out already, with Tom Canning. Uh, which is an awesome chat um, last week that we had with him. So you can check that out on impactfulconversations.co.za. And if you'd like to submit any questions to Tom, uh, head over to the contact us section and he will gladly answer your questions. But coming to the episode today, I'm thrilled once again to be joined by uh, Rosalind DeSantos, who is the Group Energy Manager of Impact Group, uh, a paper packaging and recycling company in South Africa and Namibia. She oversees the group consumption of electricity, gas, HFO, coal, and all other energy forms, and has a dotted line to a team of 22 uh, technical specialists in the group um, that execute energy efficiency and energy management projects. Uh, She also develops and executes on business cases for renewable energy at impact, uh, and she has 13 years of experience working in in the sustainability field in South Africa and Africa, so it's a good thing that that's exactly what we're talking about today. Um, She's also part of the Future Energy Leaders Program on the World Energy Council uh, for two years. And in 2020, she was elected to the board of the local South African uh, WEC member committee. Um, So Rosalind is a rock star, and I am absolutely thrilled uh, to be joined by her today. Uh, Rosalind, good morning. How are you doing today? Morning. Very good. Also excited to be here. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, yeah, it's a privilege and an honor to to chat to you uh, virtually, um, you know, under the current circumstances. Um, but Rosalind, we typically start off um, our episodes by getting to know you a little bit better, um, getting to know the person a little bit better. So take me back. Um, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And what are you passionate about? Sure. So um, I was born in Joburg, in Joburg Gen, actually, uh, daughter of a single parent. I grew up in Joburg most of my life, other than two months that I spent in Germany and four months quite recently in Chicago. And I love the environment, nature, quite passionate about sustainability. I love travel, um, seeing different places, meeting different people. I love food, really love food. Um, 
uh, family, friends, yeah, that, that's me. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And thank you very much for sharing that. I'm, a, I'm also, oh, I wasn't born in Joburg, but I'm a Joburg kid at heart. Uh, so, yeah, you and I have a commonality there as well. So another commonality that we have is um, we both study chemical engineering. Um, so, you know, I'm quite curious to know, um, is that where your passion for energy in a broad sense um, began? Um, yeah, take me through that. I'm very, very interested to know. Um, so I guess the past sort of six months to a year have been like quite surreal for me because mm -hmm. originally I'd started ChemEng thinking, you know, how amazing would it be if we could have a hydrogen economy and clean energy? And my thoughts like when, when I started, sort of 2004 like you just you would have never expected that we'd moved so fast and come so far so quickly I thought you know I'm going to study this because like it, it's it's a big goal and it's broad and it would be amazing if we could have power where like the only bad product is water and then all of a sudden, like sort of the world seems to be here and everybody seems to be ready to have this discussion. So, um, yeah, I was, a, I was a bit surprised by that. Um, <laughs> I also I chose it because I thought it had a lot more to do with chemistry than it really does. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have much to do with it. It's strange. <laughs> That's, by the time you find that out, you're halfway through and then you're like, well, this process stuff is not so bad. We might as well finish. <laughs> it's too late. You're too far down the road. Yeah, it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I also know that you uh, completed your uh, Master of Business Administration um, as well. And I know a lot of our sort of listener community are always curious about, you know, this particular uh, degree. Um, I'm curious what made you decide to pursue it um, and what was also behind, maybe, you know, talk through a, a very interesting point around the MBA, which is the timing of it, uh, when to do it, you know, why did you do it and when when you decided to actually do it? I'm very curious to know. So in my previous role, I used to take a lot of projects through like a forum called the Cost Prioritization Committee. Okay. Um, and generally, I would have to spend about two weeks with a CA, sometimes a team of CAs. They'd work through a lot of my modeling and often very, very little would be changed. Um, but yeah. I had to do it with not having a financial qualification. Yeah. So then I started thinking, like, what, what can I do to, to close this? Um, and I was thinking maybe an undergrad become and then I thought, but, you know, if you're going to spend the time and the energy, maybe do an MBA, it's, it's very recognized. So at the mm. time, it was just, I felt like I had a financial gap, I needed to close it, and I wanted a financial qualification. I wanted my projects to go a little bit faster as well. So I didn't have like yeah. a two-week roadblock. Um, and I signed up. Um I'd been considering a financial qualification for for years, actually, mm. um, probably since 2012. Um, yeah. And as you say, the timing's hard, um, and it is it's a it's a big commitment. Um, I often do things sort of quite 
quite quickly once once I've decided. Um, I think about it for a while, but once I've decided, like I'm I'm all in. Um, so I think the application deadline was the 31st of October. I think I decided around about the 27th. <laughs> <laughs> I then contacted, I then looked at the requirements and I was like, oh, these are intense. <laughs> I don't know if I'll finish these by the 31st. <laughs> so I got hold of admissions and I was like, look, I think I really want to do this, but um, the deadline's like four days away and uh, I haven't written any of my essays. I haven't taken the test that I need to take, like, um how how is this going to work and they said look we think we're actually going to extend by a week to the seventh so it's oh. like okay perfect yeah. um i'll start studying now but i'll let you know when the first date i can get for the test is because you have to write this sort of test to to get in so mm. it's, it's sort of a, a very intense like amalgamation of almost everything you've learned your entire life <laughs> 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 and I got um, an appointment for the first week of December. They said I could apply without having the results in yet. Um, yes. I then needed to go write the test and meet a certain score because if you're below the score, then they won't let you in. So I might have paid my application fee for nothing. But um, yeah, I, I did it. Um, and for the first uh, first term, the whole faculty called me the late applicant. But then uh, <laughs> they knew me and they started using my name, and it was all fine. <laughs> no, I think I think it's a fantastic uh, you know degree to to do, and I think you know it's extremely fascinating. You know, the the timing of it, um, you know, is directly linked to sort of you know achieving a specific purpose. Um, with that degree. So I also know that you have led uh, multiple big projects and initiatives in your career um, thus far. So, you know, what would you say are some of the key lessons um, that you've learned um, in that in those processes um, within that that you could possibly share with us? Um, that would you say that are pertinent? Sure, sir. I think the biggest one is you need a person with like real heart for the project because mm. um, things are only insurmountable when you give up yeah and you you need that person that's gonna like pull it through because mm. um, there's problems on every project um, be they small or large there's always unexpected things like irrespective of how well you've done your pre-feasibility, how well you've done surveys. Mm. Um, if you're going to dig, the moment you dig, like you're going to find something that you did not know was there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you need to like work with what you have at hand to, to then shift, alter, plan, make safe and continue. Um, also, you gotta build your team and your network. You need at least one person that knows the project as well as you, ideally more, so that you can step in and step out and everybody can can help each other. Mm. Um, more than that, there's always like this challenge when you take projects from project phase into operations phase. Mm. Um, 
and I've always been very, very like clear on needing the full operational team to work to walk the journey with me, with us, with the whole project team. Yeah. But even then, it's a big shift when you're on the project delivery team to now this is yours. You must take it, you must run it, like you must deal it. <laughs> And that's, yeah, having people with on the journey, it makes it easier, but that's always, always a challenge. And then your personal network is far more powerful than than you think or than you realize. Mm-hmm. Um, often on projects, I've gone to people for help thinking I was completely lost. And yeah. then they've brought me people that I know <laughs> to help solve my problem. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, why, why didn't I do this? <laughs> so, so just, yeah, use use your network. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, those are that's really, really pertinent, right? I think when you talk initially about having the heart, you know, for the project, I think it's extremely important to have people who you know really have a passion to drive a project forward. Um. And, you know, when you spoke about, you know, sort of handover from projects to operations, that, you know, sort of ownership of the project is is super, super critical. Um, and, you know, the part about the network, I think sometimes is, sometimes we really underestimate that, right? I think sometimes we really, really, really underestimate the power of that. Um, and it often it comes at moments when you least expect it. So I think, yeah, that, that's quite a, that's quite a, a key set of lessons and thank you very much for for sharing that you know with us uh so similar to the to the mba application we started off you know quite fast quite intense <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna tone it down uh, a little bit um so i want to know what is a typical day in your life you know walk me through it you know what time does it what time does it start you know how does it sort of ramp up how does it sort of you know ramp down you know what time does it end if it ever ends I'm sure you must be quite busy yes <laughs> I'm quite <laughs> curious you know does it ever end right um, I'm very curious what's a typical day in your life um I almost never have one day that's the same as the next yeah um which I love mm. um so it it depends what's what's on the schedule um it depends if if we're traveling um it's interesting working a group role with sort of 40 different plants um, and a little bit more challenging in the COVID world now that the flight schedule's reduced. Of course, yes. <laughs> so if it's a traveling day, it's sort of a, a 4 or 5 a.m. wake up to get on a 6 or 7 a.m. flight, which, um, which is terrible because um, uh, the team knows that I'm barely a person before 11. <laughs> <laughs> I just get better as the day goes on, but yeah. really not good in the morning. It's <laughs> <laughs> quite interesting. That's really, really, t- I, and, you know, sort of following on from that, um, you, you're you obviously a very, very busy person, um, you know, and, and your time is extremely valuable, I'm sure. Um, all the more reason why I'm you know, grateful that you've allowed us, you know, some time in that busy schedule to have this chat. But... How do you recharge? What do you do to recharge? What do you do to switch off? Um, so just going back a bit, I think it's it's always important to to make the time. Um, you you never know what 
an engagement, what a meeting, what what a discussion is is going to bring, um, and just giving up that that opportunity for for connecting and and discussing with with people. Um, I've had in the past, and I I always offer like if people want to see me at five, if they want to see me at six, like it's mm-hmm. it's fine because um, I'd really rather that we we have the the meeting, have the discussion rather than I miss something or you miss something that could have been really, really valuable. Um, But yeah, I've been working to try and keep it between sort of eight and five. (laughs) It doesn't always work so well. (laughs) Um, So I have... um, at the moment, uh, tap dancing on uh, Mondays and Fridays, <laughs> and I love it. It's, uh, right. it's my cardio. <laughs> that's like that's like the most fun type of cardio that I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like I don't even feel that I'm doing it. <laughs> Two hours of cardio done, and it's, it's like... just enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That's absolutely incredible. I got into a really good um, lockdown habits where I was doing daily yoga, um, sometimes 20 minutes, um, sometimes 40 minutes. Mm. Um, I've taken a little bit of a break while I was recovering from something minor. Um, but yeah, looking forward to to getting that going again. Um, it's uh, it's also the, the mental strength to get on the mat at 7 a.m., especially if it continues to be four degrees in Joburg. <laughs> yeah, it's very cold. It's, very cold. it's extremely cold, yeah. Oh, my goodness me. I, I can imagine, yeah, that takes a lot of a lot of determination. You 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 mentioned that you love food. Um, you know, curious, favourite type of food? Any restaurants as well that you that you particularly enjoy in and around Joburg? So um love lamb. Um and a shout out to all the farmers in the Karoo making Karoo lamb. It's just it's yeah. exceptional, world class. Um so much like world class produce is farmed in, in South Africa and we're we're so lucky to be a country with, with people that, that grow and, and farm. Absolutely. Um Recently, um, we uh, stopped by at Saint in Durburg. It's yeah, uh, yeah. sort of Santon precinct. Um, we went to celebrate uh, the next phase of rollout of solar PV projects uh, for for Impact. So very excited for what's coming in 2122. Um, and it seemed like a big milestone. And mm. like when when I reached these, um, it's good to just like pause and say like look look at the journey that yeah. that we've we've come it seemed like we wouldn't be here and mm-hmm. and now we're here before like you pick up the next thing and and run to the next thing just yeah. so you know like this this was something yeah that's absolutely profound right i think sometimes we shouldn't get caught up you know in the sort of daily routine and so on we should really celebrate um you know 
the sort of milestone. So, you know, congratulations to you and your team with that. Uh, and you picked you picked a good restaurant to go to. <laughs> I went really high end, but if I go like family restaurants, um, there's a little Portuguese one in Bedreview called uh, Tony G's. We regulars okay. there. It's like hearty, home-cooked, tasty food in Very a nice. comfortable environment run <laughs> by like the same family for generations. Oh, it's <laughs> lovely. So, uh, you, you just get a different feeling when you walk into a place like that, right? I totally agree. And I, I'm a huge fan of lamb. So, you know, you and I, you and I get along quite well. <laughs> so, <laughs> you and I get along quite well. Um, you know, and you spoke about South Africa and you spoke about the country and, and so on. And, you know, segueing into building a sustainable future for South Africa. Um, and I know that you are passionate about sustainability. Um, and I really want to dig into this. Um, you know, what do you think uh, are the key components of a sustainable uh, future, you know, also energy underpinned by energy um, in South Africa, if we are to build one, what are those key components that we need to focus on? So I, I got to give a, a nod back to um, Colleen Vogel. Uh, she's at Advits, uh, one of the climate researchers and actually one of the contributors to um, the UNFCCC, um, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. She works on the assessment report. She's, she's one of the writers. Um, and I was fortunate when I was doing my master's to be able to take one of her climate courses. And she took us all the way back to, to the Brundtland Commission and, and the definition of development now to meet the needs for for the future. Mm. And then sort of said, but you know, we've we've shifted and, and our focus is has changed and now we're really about balancing economic, social and environmental. Mm. And then Definitely, there's been movement from there as well. Um, there've been a lot of different uh, models. A lot of people are, are using natural capital, but that that balance of economic, social, and environmental sort of quite simple in in concept on the financial side, very much on on triple bottom line. Mm. Other ways that people have sort of looked into this as pricing in environmental externalities to start bringing them into our, our balance sheets, our, our income statements. And there's there's value in all of the different approaches and the different lenses that, that we look through it. But if we can evaluate every project on a balance of economic, social and environmental, mm. and provided that Sometimes economics wins, sometimes social good wins, and sometimes environment wins. Mm -hmm. If we can start trying to bring these all in into to a much closer balance, mm -hmm. I think that's where we're actually going to see sort of true sustainability. Um, we're we're running with with a balance of of technology. Uh, we've got a lot of set infrastructure at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to maintain it and use it as we work towards the shift. Um, also, like looking to to the future energy leaders of the World Energy Council and quoting what what some of the amazing people have have said there is 
we really need to look at who is not winning in the energy transition. And we've got a lot of talk here about just transition, mm -hmm. but we need to make sure that communities that are built around coal and fossil fuel, that there is there is something for, for these people to do, something for them to go to, because like these are these are lives, these these are families. Often these are like generational skill sets in, in one area. So shifting into to something that's that's slightly more more sustainable. I, I think it's it's immensely important, but making that shift while while keeping sort of the the individual like souls and and hearts and and minds keeping keeping them in mind i think that's that's how we we all win um so i i think we we build with new technologies we build with innovation we build with bringing in as much new um technology as much new skills as much new thought as as we can and we leverage what we have on the ground we've got an amazing resource potential and I think we are looking at that in terms of, of battery metals and, and energy storage. We've got amazing natural resources and we've really started to see renewable energy come into its own. Um, and then I think we really need to start looking into sort of more more interesting ways of planning technology. Um, and I think in a few years time this is probably an IoT type solution mm -hmm. but I really think like the old days of of base loadism are mm -hmm. over mm -hmm. I think we've got to let things peak but we've got to design for the peak and design for the flexibility and design for the resilience which also brings in like a more complicated element being so far down south in, in South Africa because there's not too many places to to interconnect and, and link to. Yeah. Um, but with that said, like large gas fines just to to the north of us, um, fields that are estimated as being like larger than the Qatar fields can totally change the whole sort of region's uh, economic outlook. Um, a little bit worried about uh, the engine refinery closing and what this means for us in in liquid fuels, but but perhaps there's there is an alternative. We talk very often for of of the shift from road to rail, and maybe this is one of one of the catalysts that can can push us in in this direction, changing from from liquid fuels to to another energy source. Yeah. Um, I know there's lots of people looking very like in a very focused way into leveraging farming with with low water crops that don't need good quality arable land to start making biogas or or liquid fuels and and mm. perhaps that's that's a good solution if it's not going to displace some um, food production mm. but i think absolutely a balance of technologies and never to forget some um, energy efficiency um yeah. sometimes called the first fuel there's there's always a lot that we can do um just into reducing waste and being being more efficient in in what we're we're doing now so mm. Even in the long-term climate projections, often energy efficiency is bringing as much of a third of what we need. And 
I think uh, if we we refocus and, and drive there as well as innovation and new technologies, I think that's that's our our sustainable future. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you've you've really you've really summarised that exceptionally well, um, and thank you for that. I, I think that <laughs> you are so kind. <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? <laughs> it's true, right? <laughs> um, I think the key phrase that you use there is balanced, um, and I I really love how you've taken the people approach into that as well, and. Um, in the sense that we really need to, you know, have a big focus on our communities, on people, on employment, to make sure that our balanced approach caters for that as well. Um, because, you know, and I, I love the phrase that you use, that we all win. Um, and I think that's, you know, that that is really what it is to build a sustainable future. Um, and it's an ever-changing landscape, right? It, it really is. I mean, 10 years ago, you couldn't, you couldn't have predicted, you know, exactly what would have happened. Of course, we can have broad projections, you know, some which have been true, some which have been, you know, are yet to come realized at the moment, but it's an ever-changing la- landscape. So I really, you know, you know, harp on about exactly what you said around, you know, thinking of the future, designing for the future and, you know, having a big focus on the planning for the future, you know, fifth. 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, 30 years into into the future of South Africa, what does that look like? Um, and I think that's a that's a big p- proponent of building a sustainable future. And within that building, um, do young professionals have a role to play in this, if any? Um, and how? Uh, you know, that that's the the obvious answer might be yes, they do. How and you know focusing more young professionals, not just young engineers, but young professionals as a whole. You know, big proponent of this of the listener community to impactful conversations. This is a series of young professionals, um, you know, in in different industries and different. You know, some who are still studying, um, some who've just finished studying, um, some who you know have gone to trade schools and so on. You know, what future do they have to play in building the sustainable uh, future for South Africa as a whole? Yeah, so, so absolutely, not just yes, absolutely. Um, young people are often the people with the hearts for, for projects. Um, I always say you can you can teach skill, but you can't teach sort of like passion and drive. You can't teach that I want this to, to happen. Um, you have that and you, you have that, that belief and you have that I want to see this project run out or you have that I'm coming because I have my job and I do my job and and then I go which which is also like equally equally valid yeah. um, there's people that are coming and doing their job every day they're they focus they drive their passion that's often at home they're they're rearing children they're helping um, elderly people, they're helping grandparents, they're helping their parents, they're helping their communities, they're working through perhaps faith-based organizations, and mm-hmm. that's that's their passion and their drive. But if we can find the young people that that have the the drive and and the ambition for for energy, for climate change, for sustainability, the mm-hmm. people that are going to to find the way to make these projects work and yeah. you'll get multiple barriers you will be told 
so many times no <laughs> you'll be told so many times it just it doesn't work like this mm-hmm. you just you don't understand um and like as a young person if I can still call myself young <laughs> I'm probably going a bit beyond that no but... you still you're still one of us don't worry like it's hard it's hard to get that feedback and it's hard to get it over and over and over again yeah. um but the way I I see it is is you have to you have to be like the water you have to be like flexible and in that flexibility there's there's power yeah. I mean if if you see what's what water does with with persistence and time like it changes changes landscapes it changes and changes everything and we need young people to bring that that passion and enthusiasm for change and this is beyond just advocacy although advocacy is an incredibly important component of this um i would say you must you must be like the water and you must you must go wherever you can to make whatever your dream is a reality because it's is truthfully it's only impossible when when you give up um if you just keep trying um and take take every opportunity and and use it to to the greatest uh, ability that that you can um and if if you show up and you do your best and if you are the best version of of yourself every single day is just there's there's nothing that you that's going to stop you from from succeeding so so yes like don't give up keep knocking on the doors keep being there keep keep saying this is important keep saying we need to to address it um but yeah say it to different people because if you just say it to the same person all the time (laughs) so okay use your network Uh, yeah, coming back to exactly what you said earlier around you know, the network, exactly that. I think that's exceptional advice, and thank you very much for that. Um, I, I think the role that you know young professionals have to play is often understated, um, and I think you know really that is you know what that that is going to be a key proponent of building a sustainable uh, energy future and a sustainable future in South Africa as a whole. And you know, coming more to sort of the sustainability portion of it as well. Um, carbon footprint reducing technologies is a big focus at the moment. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk around that. Um, and I guess, you know, firstly, for those who don't know, um, you know, what is it all about? And you know, secondly, how do we advance this field in South Africa? Um, yeah, in your opinion, what do you think? What do you think we need to do to advance it in South Africa? Mm. Sure. So. I, I guess we got to go back to to the beginning, and we got to talk about climate change, anthropogenic climate change, um, a number of of greenhouse gases. And to start off with, sort of greenhouse gases mm-hmm. are not bad. If we didn't have them, like our planet would be uninhabitable. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing that we have these gases that block and hold incoming radiation that our planet doesn't drop to freezing uninhabitable temperatures the moment that the sun is no longer shining directly on the portion of the earth that we sit in yeah but the problem is we're getting 
a few too many greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, mostly due to human activity and, and exploiting fossil fuels and sort of carbon-based stored energy that's that's been around for, for millennia. Mm. And as we're starting to get CO2 accumulating, and it's not just CO2, there's there's methane as well and nitrous oxide, there's um, some, some electrical gases like SF6, um, and all of these sort of molecules just block more and more radiation that's, that's trying to leave the atmosphere. Yeah. And our planet and our weather systems work on a very, very delicate balance. Often it's all about heating and cooling in exactly the right space to keep sort of global air moving or to keep water circulating, to keep sort of the the weather and, and the conditions that are conducive to, to human life. Mm. So we're sort of changing something that that's in a very, very delicate balance and starting to see sort of greater extreme weather events, greater frequency of, of occurrence. And climate change is complex because I can't say that one flood that's that's climate change or yeah. or one event. It's it's sort of a series and, and a pattern. It's it's a progression a long time and and pulling the trends and starting to see that actually the one in fifty year flood is now actually happening one in twenty years. Yeah. And our infrastructure is just not not set up for this. It, it's not able to cope. Um, but on the good news, um, it doesn't matter where CO2 is emitted or not emitted. Like one ton of greenhouse gas abated here is the same as abating anywhere else in the world because of the way that the whole climate and atmosphere moves. Um, and that's also how you can have a carbon market and how you can trade emissions sort of as actual sort of financial instruments mm, mm. and use that as as a, a framework and a tool to to start mitigating climate change mm, mm. and you know even if we don't believe anything <laughs> that i've just said which which i think is is unusual considering global scientific consensus um yeah. is it ever good to use something boundlessly that we know is finite. Yeah. And yeah. looking yeah. looking at people and humanity based compared to like a geological time scale, we we are we are such a small piece of sort of the progression of, of the world to yeah. date. So I mean, should we not conserve things that we know are not in in boundless supply that we know it would take organic matter thousands of years under absolutely the right conditions to become oil coal natural gas should we not just pull back a little bit on that and, and use something that we know is is going to be there every day um and the day after and the day after and the day after irrespective of of how much we we consume yeah. so I think that's uh, sort of the basis of, of why we, we want to reduce carbon. Um, we want to reduce carbon for, for people, for, for our ecosystem. Um, as much as the world is, is delicate, biodiversity is, is delicate. And one small component missing could sort of cause problems for whole biological cycles. Um, there's, there's some sort of interesting discussions at the moment 
for what happens just when an apex predator is garden tall. It can sort of filter down through through the whole ecosystem and and destroy everything. It's yeah. not kept in sort of this very very delicate balance. Um, so so what do we do in South Africa? Um, I think we we continue working on on energy efficiency. Uh, we continue working on innovation and new technology. Um, South Africa was world leading, is world leading in measurement and verification. We we continue to to run and and develop and drive that part of of industry. Um, and I think we we start localizing the value chain more and more. Um, it's become sort of less fashionable to be in sort of a sort of full full value chain of services where people are saying, you know, let's just look at the portion that we're good at and the portion that we we excel at. And it's it's a very valuable management tool and management strategy, but as many things, there there are multiple approaches that that you can take. Um, taking a step back and saying, well, why don't we integrate along this value chain? Um, we're installing a lot of renewable energy at the moment, but a lot of it is being imported. And mm. there's there's economic arguments to to import. There's economic arguments to to invest and and develop. Um, and I think we really need to look at this with sort of a longer term horizon. Yeah. I think we often we we run in a short term cycle of sort of either like political election cycles or um, financial years or five year plans or yeah. ten year plans. Um, and I think the the further we can we can take that out mm. um, and the more willing we are to accept our returns, be they um, financial, environmental, social, over a longer time, um, but still like an acceptable timeline. This this needs to be improvement within people's lives. Um, I think we can then make these these more difficult decisions now that say you know we we put down the investment, we put down the infrastructure, and we work really, really hard for for five years, and and then we start to to reap benefit. But um, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's difficult, and integrating along your value chain is 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 tough. But I mean, what if we didn't just mine the battery metals? What if we actually had the factories that that made them? What if we didn't just buy the solar panels? What if we didn't just import uh, the blades for the wind turbines or, or the structures? What if we had sort of the, the capacity from, from extraction all the way to, to finished manufactured product? And sort of the, the lives and, and the, the people and what, what, we could, what we could achieve and what we could enrich by going sort of the full length of, of their value chain. I think that that could be huge. Could be huge for for South Africa. It could be huge for innovation. It could be huge for development. And then sort of partnership integration. Um, yeah, do, this is getting very big. <laughs> Doing we, 
we, we, we, we, we laying out the plan, right? We're laying out the national plan. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. And that's that's impactful. So it, it is that that is exactly what it is. Absolutely. Uh, doing doing everything that that we we can in in our power to to enrich and and develop the lives of of those those around us in in this beautiful country in this beautiful continent mm, mm. I, I think that's yeah that's extremely profound um and i think the the focus really you know challenging challenging us to think differently um from what we currently have um you know, like you said, if I quote your phrase at the end, you know, doing everything that we can to enrich and develop the lives of our people. Um, and what does that mean when we build a sustainable future? I think that's, I think you've really given us a lot to think about, a lot to, you know, challenge, challenge, you know, our thinking on certain things and certain status quos um, that we have sort of accepted, you know, that this is just the way it is. We import this, we import that, you know, why can't we manufacture it? Why can't we make it here? Why can't we, you know, why can't we do things differently? Um, and what you've, what you've suggested is transformational, right? It actually is transformational. It's transformational for the country um, as South Africa, but it's also transformational, you know, the country as South Africa, not in the broader sense, but for its people. Um, but it's also transformational for Africa as a whole um, throughout, because then, you know, South Africa sort of leads the way in that part, and you know, hopefully other countries, you know, follow suit. And you know, there are ways and means for us to to collaborate and to do that, you know, on a broader African scale. Um, but Rosalind, I just want to thank you for fantastic chat. Um, yeah, sure, a really enriching chat, um, full of knowledge, full of, um, I think, challenging our thinking. Um, but like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't actually, I, was, I wasn't saying it lightly when I said we laid out the plan, right? But that's exactly what it is. How do we build? How do we build that future? And thank you very much for outlining that for us um, and for telling us, you know, a little bit about yourself and your journey and what you've been through, you know, the decisions that you've taken, the, like I said, you know, the, the mountains that you've climbed, the, the, the valleys that you've been through um, and sharing some of those key lessons that you have uh, you know, uh, encountered with throughout. So um, I just want to thank you so much. I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. I hope it's been an enjoyable process um, being on this podcast and I hope some of the questions weren't too difficult. <laughs> uh, but I hope that you've enjoyed it and thank you so much once again. Uh, um, yeah, sometimes these these big things, they seem like insurmountable, but every journey starts with a success and every small thing that you complete and then you can build upon and do more if we have many many young people many entrepreneurs many businesses just building on them um yeah these these big dreams these big dreams are possible with the small actions we take every day absolutely absolutely i love that phrase and thank you so much once again for sharing that thank you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful phrase yeah um and to you, the listener from uh, Rosalind and myself, we want to thank you for uh, listening to this. I hope that it's been impactful. I hope that it um, inspires you to go and build the sustainable future for South Africa and um, within your community, within your sphere of influence. Um, I hope that 
this has been a wonderful chat and I hope that you share this with uh, your friends and family, uh, your friends and family's dogs as dogs, friends. Um, yeah, and I hope that you've enjoyed this and we will see you in the next episode of Impactful Conversations. Please do subscribe to the podcast or the YouTube channel, whichever platform you are listening or watching this on. And until next time, please keep well, keep safe and bye-bye. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the episode. Hope that you impacted positively and that you found substance and significance. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please subscribe to this podcast and give it a five-star rating. You can also check out and subscribe to our episodes in video format on the Impactful Conversations YouTube channel. Do head over to our website, impactfulconversations.ca.za, for more details about the show, as well as to give us any feedback of how you found the show, and to send through your questions to our future guests. Thank you to all of you who have listened, subscribed, and given us feedback. It really does mean an incredible deal. But anyway, until the next episode, bye-bye, stay safe, stay healthy, and wash your hands.